Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast. This is Andrew here with Stephen, and for the second time, uh, we're here with Doug King. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. It's a real pleasure to be back here with you. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, seriously, for giving us a, a, another hour of your life. Uh, hopefully, oh, it's, yeah. uh, hopefully that's insightful to everyone else. That you'll never get back. That you'll never get back. Let's make that clear. Well, um, we might be we might be surprised how we do get it back, but but it's my pleasure to do this, and I do it every chance I get. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is episode six. We have Doug King here. If you haven't gotten to check out the last episode, um, certainly not required, but highly highly recommended. You go back and check out our first conversation on spiral dynamics. Um, and and a couple of other fun things in that episode. Really enjoyed that conversation last week, and uh, we wanted to have Doug back on to you know further reiterate a couple of things, maybe expound uh, on on certain pieces of the spiral and spiritual growth. Um, but but then want to take a bit of a deeper dive into kind of what that spiritual growth looks like. We talked about this idea of a wilderness wandering and sort of the the you know the spiritual journey that is you know growing through um, some of the pieces of the spiral, just internal, you know, growth, wrestling with challenges in our faith, deconstruction, reconstruction, you know, and some of those, you know, the pitfalls, some of the, of that, of that journey, you know, but also on the flip side, some of the, the benefits, the pros and, and the fruit that can come from the journey, uh, and then hoping to dive into to some of Doug's story as well. But um, enough of an intro, Doug, I was hoping I could put you on the spot. So what, just uh, to put a, a quick summary and sort of recap on the spiral. So when we talk about spiral dynamics, how do you def- define that? And uh, could, could I put you on the spot for a two minute overview of, of the last hour plus conversation we had? Yeah, absolutely. Not not a problem at all. Uh, The spiral is really designed to be a study of the human collective, meaning what humans hold in collectives as a worldview. And that's different than the field of, say, psychiatry or therapy or even those that are familiar with something like the Enneagram. Those are all to study the individual. But the spiral is about worldviews. Uh, The three worldviews that are present today that are going to be encountered by the folks that are listening to this podcast and that are having their own journey are going to be the three most recent worldviews of the traditional worldview, the modern worldview, and the postmodern worldview. Now, there were obviously worldviews that preceded that. But those are worldviews that have, for the most part, come and gone. Those are the archaic, the tribal, the warrior. Those have preceded what has led up to today, especially here in the West, to the traditional, modern, and postmodern. And all of those are worldviews that have a different set of characteristics. And the reason they come into being is because we, as human beings, evolve, mature, and grow in the same way that we do as children and as individuals when we move through uh, our early childhood years into adulthood. Excellent. And now the the foundation, you know, of a lot of the the spiral dynamics um, or the spiral specifically we talked about a bit earlier is really this this psychosocial um, type framework. So clearly this is not limited to spirituality, religion, et cetera. Although, of course, for the sake of this conversation, we believe there's a, you know, a very particular connection to spiritual growth and, per, you know, as the collective, but then also probably some personal things to learn as well. Could you maybe give us within those, those three kind of latter halves of tier one, traditional, modern, and postmodern, what are some of the kind of highlight characteristics of, of that if, if, from a theological and spiritual perspective, to, to be specific? A- absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So Jesus, for example, would have showed shown up at the traditional age even 2,000 years ago, and the traditional age is the advent of empires, you can think of the Egyptian, the Greek, the Roman Empire, and so Jesus shows up in the Roman uh, times, in the Roman Empire, and in the empire, you do have hierarchy, which we can talk about a little bit later if you'd like, uh, and that hierarchy is very set. 
Uh, it is not as fluid as in past ages where you had uh, a constant chaos. The empire had more order to it. The one thing about being part of an empire is that you answered to authorities that were above and beyond you in their power and control, and you did not question authorities. And that, in the traditional time, uh, frame, of course, would translate over to the way one understood God and God identity, which is to say that it would also be empire-oriented. And so instead of having Caesar and generals and lieutenants, we would have a pope, cardinals, bishops. We would look a whole lot like the institution of the politic in our institution of religion, and we would not question authority. Now, we move into modernity. Modernity is when human beings begin in general to question the paradigms that have preceded them. And this is why all the inventions that we know of today and the change of art and music happen or bring about, they are actually the elements of modernity because people begin to question, why don't we do things differently? Or is this the best way to do something? And when you carry that over into your God identity and your religious understanding of community and faith community, you will then feel the need to question certain things that you feel are limitations on either your interpretation of God, the way you see God, or limitations upon something that has to do with actions, morals, the treatment of others, etc. And that comes with modernity, and you'll find that to be a real pushback against the previous world uh, view of traditionalism. Then when you move into postmodernity, that is a movement that really is moving back into the need for uh, a more deeper spiritual look uh, at God, a more uh, fellowship in spiritual community, because in modernity, modernity is really rationalistic. It's very heavy into the rational. Even when you get into the idea of megachurches, I think to me, they fit very well in modernity. They're very efficient. Mm -hmm. That's what modernity is about. You can do almost like a drive-through church. You can come in. You can drop out. No one really notices. There's not a lot of connectivity. And that, that's a very big generalization. That is not that is not accurate in many uh, megachurches, by the way. I'm not trying to pay, pigeonhole people. But sure. I will say that, that post-modernity is usually where people are saying, you know what, I want a deeper connectivity spiritually, so I'm moving away from that kind of an environment. So Whatever it is that people are experiencing in all aspects of the worldview, we will find that it shows up in their view of God. Hmm. So what, um, you know, Doug, uh, there's, we talked about how there's two tiers last time. Can you explain briefly the, the difference between the tiers? What is it, what's kind of the key difference between tier one and tier two? Yeah, so... Uh, when folks are in the traditional age in uh, tier from a first tier perspective, because the traditional uh, can be looked at from a second tier perspective, uh, which is a much healthier way to to look at the use of traditional principles, because in the first tier you're unaware of the fact that you are in a worldview that can be either healthy or unhealthy. And so you don't really question the unhealthy aspects of it until the life conditions of that worldview become so difficult that you are literally forced to start moving into a different direction. When you're in a second tier type of consciousness, which we're discussing now, which is not a different place per se, it's rather a second tier perspective is the ability to look at the traditional level or the modern level or the postmodern level and ask, are these elements healthy or unhealthy in my life, in my collectives? In, in my uh, corporations, in my communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you get to second tier, you have the ability to look back on each worldview as an object. When you are a part of that worldview, you are the subject, you are its subject. And so 
you are in essence not aware or you're not even able to take into consideration worldviews that are not the particular worldview that you are in if you are in first-tier modernity. When you get to second tier, you don't do away with the elements of modernity, postmodernity, or traditionalism. It's just that when you get to second tier, you've actually consciously come to a point where you're able to recognize all three of those worldviews, objectively ask the question, what would be a healthy or unhealthy application of each? Right. To me, it almost sounds like I love that the reminder that second tier is not necessarily a moving away. It's not saying, well, I don't have a worldview or I'm above the worldviews or I don't have to, it, but rather it's a way of holding. Yes. You know, it's a way, it's a way of carrying what, whatever it is you're in or whatever it is you, you, you know, you perceive or the community you're in or the lens you have. It's a way of yes. holding it where you no longer have your identity tied to it. It's not, it doesn't seem to be as tethered to where I have to defend myself or my position or my worldview um, as I would if I was in it and I really believed that it essentially was me, that, that my worldview is me. There seem, it seems to be just a difference in how you hold you know, the tradition or the, 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 the lens and worldview that you're in. Very well said. I mean, I, could, I can't think of a better way to say it than you just said it. That, that's dead on what is actually happening. And the other side of that, guys, is, is that once you have that ability to look objectively on different worldviews, it also helps a person to understand if they are seeing things differently than someone else who, say, in a more traditional world, which is often... Uh, the traditional worldview is often associated with a concept called fundamentalism when we bring it over to religion. So it it also helps us to empathize and have greater understanding for the page number, in essence, the traditional page number yes. that a person may be on. And that really helps in family situations where, again, you, you're going to know, okay, I have a family member that's very much a part of a faith community that is very traditional and their boundaries are are far more tightly drawn than what I understand God boundaries to be. And so I can know that when I go into situations where we're all sitting at the same table. How do you how do we act, Doug, to the to the the pushback? Because this, this is what I hear sometimes when I when I explain it is that you know, this, uh, when you talk about different levels of consciousness, it sounds almost like, um, uh, well, it sounds hierarchical. It sounds like, uh, you know, there's this kind of primitive, you know, like, like at this stage, you're an ape at this stage, you're this. And now when you get up here, now you fully evolved and, and, you know, lo and behold, I happen to be up at this tier. So how, how do you, how do you, how do you, um, react to people who are, feel like this just sounds like it's uh, a progression, like, like, there, like there's a like there's a value, a, a trajectory of value um, in right. the stages. Yeah. So first of all, Stephen, in your case, like if it was your wife and she called you a Neanderthal, you just have to live with that. Right? You just have <laughs> to just live with that. It just might be the reality. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to say, you know, she's probably right. Um, but, but in terms of uh, hierarchy, let me just say that the pushback especially is coming from those who have moved to a postmodern worldview. Why is postmodernity rightly, rightly concerned about hierarchy? Well, it's because previous hierarchies, let's take modernity, the worldview that preceded Postmodernity in modernity, what happened with hierarchies? Well, we had corporations that were founded, and the corporations were striving for the greatest efficiency and therefore the greatest profit, the greatest return to a stockholder. And when that became the focus, then people became very much secondary. And this is why you have Occupy Wall Street and other things that begin to happen and the collapse of banking and other things is because the hierarchies were using people and resources for self-interests. And this is unhealthy hierarchy 
that postmodernity was pushing against. And a hierarchy can be either healthy or unhealthy. So, for example, in your family, you and your wives are uh, obviously in a hierarchical position as opposed to your children, and you will make the decision in their early years, and that is a hierarchy, but that's a healthy one. You will attempt, as they become teenagers, to engage them more in the decision-making process and allow them greater uh, freedom to experience decision-making themselves. But there are other hierarchies where people have been used for slavery or the planet Earth has been robbed of its resources unfairly by those who have the wealth and the power. And so postmodernity, on the one hand, has brought a very healthy look at hierarchy in terms of saying these are unhealthy hierarchies. They result in the manipulation and control of people unfairly, and they're all self-centered. Now, the, the first-tier postmodernity has as an Achilles heel this reaction is so much against hierarchy, it becomes one where all hierarchy is bad. And so, for example, this striving for excellence or for better uh, becomes something uh, that becomes a real problem. So the joke about a postmodern would be that we're going to play a game and what happens? Everybody gets a trophy. We're, right. we're all familiar with that, right? Postmodernity wants to move from any hierarchy to pure relativism. People that are business consultants will say, if you have a, a, a postmodern center of gravity in a business, you'll find that they love to have meetings where they make sure they get everyone's input in the, con- in the company. Hey, yes. that's good. But the bad part about that is they never make a decision. And so because they're more concerned about getting everyone's input and no decisions are made or decisions are made so as not to hurt uh, a certain people that are sensitive or that have been uh, in the past manipulated and controlled unfairly. And so, uh, again, this idea of hierarchy, first of all, we have to realize hierarchy can be either healthy or unhealthy. And when we get into second tier mode, that's just simply a mode as Andrew referred to a little bit ago, where I'm able to objectively question, look at, analyze, and ask, are we using hierarchy in a way that benefits others, or are we using these hierarchies in an abusive way, a way to control and feed our own self-interest? Yeah, that that makes sense. So I have a question, just piggybacking off that. What does a Tier 2 call it a person or perspective, um, tier, uh, within tier two, someone that has a traditional worldview because for, or, or, or predominantly uh, traditional center of gravity, because for me, it can, I can honestly feel a sense of judgment that I'm not proud of, but I can feel this sense of like, if you're in the traditional worldview, um, particularly in a church context, um, uh, and I think probably a number. I'll speak for myself. If you're in a traditional church context, you know, within the spiral um, in tier one, I, it's hard for like it's easy for me to feel like that's that's not a good place to be. You need to move beyond, or that that you're probably too centered on boundaries and exclusion, and in and out, and dualism, and blah blah blah. Um, I know that's me being judgmental. What does a healthy traditional kind of worldview and center of gravity look like within from the tier two perspective? Yeah, I think from tier two, Andrew, and believe me, these are conversations uh, that I've had with others for years. And and I've done a lot of self-reflection on this very question. And I'm always even uh, currently very sensitive to the difference between uh, looking at a worldview and feeling from my perspective that it's unhealthy or taking uh, a different approach or interpretation to someone, that ha- that to me is healthy. What's not healthy is if I look at someone in fundamentalism and I do what some of the 
uh, postmoderns do on TV, where they begin to label yeah. and categorize these people and 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 vilify them. And they're ignorant people. They're uh, trailer people. They're this. They're that. That to me is is when if I take someone who is has very strong traditional worldview values, and I begin to denigrate them, that is something that's very unhealthy. Mm. If, however, I am seeing a bigger, more generous God, if you will, a more inclusive God, then what I should do is be aware that that's not going to be the message that's going to play down at this particular faith group on Sunday morning. And it would be in my best interest to synergize with people that are in faith groups that are seeing uh, from that perspective, the same thing that I'm saying about God. And will you be attacked? Will you get pushback? Sure, you'll get pushback. And you'll always be attacked because of the key word that you brought up earlier, guys, and that's the word identity. When you are in a real first-tier mode, it is because you have attached your whole identity to specific boundary-driven interpretations that you that will not allow you to consider question or hold intention any other views. Hmm. That's great. So when we, thank you, that's helpful. So obviously we're talking about collectives for the most part, and you made clear at the beginning that the spiral is, you know, effectively for thinking in collectives, whereas the Enneagram and some other models are much more on the personal, but I'd like to go to the personal um, a bit, you know, because sure. I think there's obviously serious implications here. The language you use around, you know, the transitions, um, from you know one tier to the next, uh, excuse me, not tier. What one le- worldview um, and age to the next is this language I love of of uh, the wilderness and uh, this this wilderness wandering that occurs. Um, you know, I I'd love to just explore, you know, park on that for a minute and explore that because I think honestly, there's a good shot that that a good chunk of the people listening to this might feel in some way that that's exactly where they are. Um, although there might be a center of gravity um, in one particular camp, I, I think they'd say, and to an extent, you know, I think we're all kind of on this, you know, in a bit of a bit of a wilderness at mm-hmm. any given time, right? So, yeah. I guess one of the first questions: um, what ultimately? Maybe one way to put it. Uh, how does someone like? How do you become aware of the fact that you might be in the wilderness? Like, what does that look like? Uh, and how do you like? Am I in the wilderness right now? Can someone help me? Like, do I? Uh, <laughs> like, what yeah. what do those signs look like? And what what are sort of some of the triggers and 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 the things that that ultimately that you see and that that lead to these transitions? Yeah, that's a great question because this is a conversation that I'm having. Uh, very, very much daily uh, with with folks that are not just here in Atlanta, but they're in places across our country and even beyond. And it is because we are, as a human family, a global human family, really experiencing uh, a shift that in and of itself must create uh, these wilderness wandering elements. So to back up, if you will, and talk about it from the biblical narrative perspective, which is my passion, is the narrative. Uh, it, it is very comforting for me to know, first of all, that the elements of being in bondage in some way, or being in a wilderness wandering in some way, or being in some type of land of fulfillment, peace, Etc. belongs to the nature of nature, that this is not an unfortunate thing that has happened to me, that I may be in the wilderness wandering, and I'll talk more specifically about what those elements can be or what they can look like. But rather, the first thing that I like is the narrative, like the spiral, is, is a map to me that says, Doug, you are here. You read about you read about what's going on in this time in history and the narrative, and you read about this particular place in in time and what the people were struggling with or the joy of being delivered into something. You are you are here on the map, and just knowing where you are is to me a great comfort. And the fact that there's not something wrong with you inherently wrong with you, or that you are in some way 
an unspiritual person because you are finding yourself in, in this place. And so this conversation is happening everywhere. And I'm glad that it's it's happening because it indicates growth. It, it growth requires this element of wilderness wandering, if you will. Hmm. So I could I could, for example, uh, use many uh, uh, different things here in the biblical narrative specifically. There is, of course, the story of the children of Israel being in bondage. That's that's being in a worldview for me. Let's say it's when uh, I'm in the, a traditional worldview, which I which I have been, uh, I was, and so you find it has limitations. And the minute you begin to find that it has limitations, those limitations are boundaries, and the purpose of boundaries is to bind, which means that's a form of bondage. And so it's it's a type of bondage that you're in because you're feeling constrained in the way that you are now interpreting, seeing God uh, and the nature of of God relationship or other elements similar to that. And that will inevitably lead you on a wilderness wandering, which is simply the first uh, part of that wilderness wandering is to not know exactly what the answer is. The wilderness wandering is, I don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out. I don't know how long I'm going to be in a wilderness wandering. I don't even know if I'll ever get out of a wilderness wandering. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that's a freak out. That's a freak out to the ego because the ego has to know. It's yes. all about knowing. Archaic Adam in the narrative is a great one to bring out here. Archaic Adam had a desire to grasp the knowing. Whereas Abraham, who models faith, went out not knowing. So, and so when you're in this wilderness wandering, you can say, look, God help me to be more like Abraham because I don't know where I'm going either. And I know that he lives today as a great example of the way you want us to move with you. That's awesome. And so, yeah. And, and, and so, and so I can also uh, understand that my uh, desire to know the outcome is also instinctive it's it's my archaic instinct saying you better know the outcome because there might be something out there that's going to eat you. Mm-hmm. You might fall off a cliff if you sell your boat out there. It looks like there's an edge on that water. You could fall off into who knows where. So all of that's necessary. And when I go through that wilderness wandering, and I don't know how long it's going to last, and I don't know exactly how it's going to come out, I continue to. Uh, be in a deconstructive phase when I'm in the wilderness wandering, because in essence, I'm moving further away from where I was. And so that equates to me of I find myself deconstructing a lot of things or talking a lot about things I no longer believe without necessarily at first knowing what I do then believe. Mm. But as I move along in the wilderness wandering, I move closer to that promised land, which the land of promise is just the assurance of God that there is a better day ahead for me and that I won't be left stranded in in that kind of a wandering, uh, frustrated, scary place. And that that I will come to a peace with which is that I'm coming to a new set of answers that I now find are leading me to a place where I say, okay, this is what I now believe. Now, with regard to the certainty of that, I know that growth means that the the cycles always keep going as you're growing. So while I am certain of that today, I also in my prayer life will will just say, help me see, though, what else I might question. Help me see what else I'm not understanding or that I'm not even conscious of today so that I not only know the wilderness wandering is okay, I can actually embrace it. I can ask for it because I know that it's for my benefit. And so you know, th- th- those are some general trajectories, if, that, uh, if, if that's kind of hitting the point of what you were trying to get at there. Yeah, I, I think so. Doug, I, I got a question. Um, so the wilderness wandering, I mean, you, if, if we're going to stick with kind of the biblical, um, the biblical narrative and, and, and push this through, 
how do people know when they're leaving, like what, what, that, that, that it's time to leave Egypt? Does that make sense? How do they know what, what pushes them into the wilderness? How do they, um, and, and how do they become aware of that? And then what generally do you see in these conversations you're having with people? What are, what are the common responses to that realization that, that realization of, Oh my gosh, yeah, this, this is, this is unsustainable. Something has to change. What do you, what do you see there? Yes. It's, it's also very fascinating. Uh, usually the conversations that I have with folks start out that people are beginning to see that there are those limitations with a particular faith community, and it can be on any level. So it's not just the traditional level. It could be any level. Let's just say, in general, you're having a situation with a faith community, and they have a particular viewpoint which will equate with a worldview. The initial discussions are usually that there's some degree of frustration that's beginning to build, but the desire of the people who are frustrated is to see if they can help other people at least begin to question the things that they're questioning or to begin to see the things that they're seeing. And the desire is, hey, I'm really connected to this faith community. It's where all my relationships are. It's where most of my family is, and I want to do any and everything I can to work within that community, even though I don't agree with everything that community stands for. I want to do everything I possibly can to work within that community and help that community possibly grow or see things that they're not seeing that I'm seeing. Okay, that that may or may not work. In most cases, I have seen people after a while— have enough life experiences in that attempt that they finally get to a point where they say this just doesn't work and there's no rule book for that there's no this is when it this is if it if it will happen at all there's no rule book that says well it'll happen after this amount of time or uh, et cetera et cetera but they do finally and I have these conversations where they say that's it. I can't I can't do this. I've got to move to this next faith community or this other faith community. I just can't do this anymore. Those are all personal judgments. And mm-hmm. so there is there, there is no rule book for that. But that's typically what uh, I'm seeing happen constantly now is that never before have we had such a shift from the more traditional views that were handed down to my parents and my grandparents generation and a shift to uh, values, viewpoints, and interpretations of God identity that uh, are at odds with that uh, viewpoint and that therefore cause the rub that leads one into a wilderness wandering and eventually into a next faith community, which is your next promised land. Hmm. Is, there, is there anything that people tend to, when they, when they leave— and that when they enter the wilderness, uh, let's see, let's let's continue with the the conversation. I guess going from a traditional into a, a modern um, path. What what are the things that they what are the things they often leave behind? Like what what do they often fail to include as they transcend? That's a great question. And maybe hit again on that concept of transcend and include because we hit that last yeah, time. Yes. It didn't reiterate. That's a, I think that's a great point. Yeah, so I will go back to the words of Jesus that I used in our first one where Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets I came to fulfill. So Jesus was making it a point that uh, he was not leaving the concept of law behind, but rather he was reinterpreting its role and function. That Jesus was not saying that because, uh, well, let's say Paul, who wrote to the Philippians and who said, I now see what I was doing in my first tier view of law is I was attempting through law to have a righteousness of my own, self as source, doing as source. So Paul doesn't abandon the law. He doesn't say, therefore, I have now abandoned the law. And it doesn't matter if you steal, doesn't matter if you murder, doesn't matter if you bear false witness. Paul was not saying that at all. What he was saying, though, is that no longer was he uh, going to use the numerous laws that uh, came from the original law given to Moses 
in order to form a God identity, but rather he was saying that God identity, while it included law, it was not dependent upon law, that uh, there was a new element called grace that was being uh, introduced at that point for Paul, where Paul could see that first and foremost, his identity came from spirit. It was after the spirit, not after the flesh. And in, in theologically, I would I would take that to be the two tiers. Tier one would be after the flesh, which is mm-hmm. a doing a doing system, and after the spirit is an identity that we would understand uh, that is a being spirit. We are all created in the image of God, so that would be innate. It would seem to me to everyone on the planet. So uh, as, as we begin to you know mull those points around and begin to uh, look at the way we interpret identity, uh, we are not saying, therefore, there is no law. What, what we're saying is, is that the role and function of law changes as my worldview uh, changes. In the worldview of those who were under the law, they couldn't accept that, and that's why uh, they would go out to the Gentile communities where Paul was and say, no, it's not enough that you see your God identity as Paul is telling you about through Jesus. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to mm-hmm. keep the law in this way and this way and this way because they were in a more traditional understanding of God identity that had more requirements, and that's a word that's often used, the requirements of the law. And so the more fundamental the viewpoint, the more it's based on requirements, and those become more important uh, than sometimes the people, uh, as Jesus found out. So uh, so when you're transcending what you're what you're transcending is the unhealthy interpretation or use of the law, the unhealthy uh, interpretation or use of hierarchy. But you're not abandoning hierarchies. You're not you're not saying that we shouldn't have a president of a corporation and we shouldn't have vice presidents and so. No, what you're saying is is we are going to have hierarchy, but the hierarchy, the law, whatever it is that we're looking at, is going to be used in such a way that it further enhances the understanding of God, breaks down barriers between people, and uh, brings about what we're seeing as a more uh, inclusive, abundant life, uh, however you want to, to define that. Hmm. that. That's helpful. You know, I, um, I, I like the, na- I like the, the metaphor of, of the wandering. I mean, it's, it's helpful. I mean, it definitely resonates with, with my, my experience and, um, I, I had some similar. Uh, we, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but Doug, I, uh, I had a brief stand as a missionary overseas for a while, about three months or so, and that definitely sent me into my wilderness wandering. And uh, in many ways, I'm still wandering. And, and I think, uh, like you said last week, there's <laughs> there's a, lots of me that's still wandering, lots of me that still is where I was, lots of me that still is going somewhere else, and things are changing. Um, one thing that's been really helpful is, as I uh, as I hear what you're talking about, and I think about this concept of spiral dynamics being sort of evolutionary, um, is you know like in in biology, for example, whatever trait uh, uh, an organism develops, like there's if there's a genetic mutation that just happens to help that organism survive, there's not an inherent moral value on that trait. That that trait is only better to the degree to which it helps the organism live in their milieu in their environment where they are and so when i when i uh i've noticed for myself when i go into these conversations like with people who think differently from me um and i'm looking for okay what is it about this person's life what is it about their lived experiences i think to use your language doug that has contributed to, to, to their particular worldview being what creates that equilibrium. It, 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 if nothing else, it helps me to not, just not be so angry all the time. Right. You know? right. right. Uh, so that's uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's been, um, it's been a helpful uh, structure. Do you find um, as you are, as you are having conversations with people who think differently from you, have you noticed anything similarly? What helps? What What do you find helps conversations across levels, so to speak, 
be fruitful and not just irritating and annoying. Mm. Well, that again, uh, the reaction of my ego is the same as everybody's ego on the planet. And the reaction of the ego is, is either fear or anger, and it's all designed to protect me. So frustrations I may have with others or anger that I have or the desire just to isolate and get away from people, uh, those are all natural instincts. I think that the thing that I've learned from these models, such as Spiral, Secondarily, again, I'm going to stress secondarily to the narrative, which uh, is is the guide that uh, I think is the most amazing, uh, is that as I've grown, I've realized, uh, as uh, someone here in town uh, puts it, to respond and not react, which means that, yeah, I'm, I have egoic reactions that bring about anger or fear, flight, etc., but I have the ability to pause. I have the ability to think about my response to those things and I have the ability to process. Sometimes I don't. It's, it's just like anything. If something catches me off guard or something happens, uh, I guess the, you know everybody uses the example of somebody cut you off on the interstate or whatever it is. Look, life happens. And oftentimes I might look back on a situation and realize, oh, I see what I did. But that's a real sign of maturity for me, because what it means is, is that I'm starting to get these principles of the way this works, that the self, the human self has always been the culprit, because the human self wants to know, wants to grasp, wants to be in control, and wants a particular outcome that it has determined as the necessary outcome of a situation. And as I've seen this evolutionary path uh, and understood uh, more concepts, again, of wilderness wandering and faith, uh, I've become more aware that I understand myself, so I don't beat myself up. In other words, it's 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 not a situation where I go to the other extreme and beat myself up because I, I'm having feelings. Look, feelings are given to us by God. They're God-given feelings. Okay, the question then becomes, why am I having these feelings? What's behind these feelings? What am I threatened by? What's upsetting me about this? So, those to me seem to be kind of general attributes that come along with an understanding of page numbers that people are on, re- depending on what worldview they have. And and that would have been extremely, that idea would have been very threatening to me in my early days growing up when I had more tightly drawn boundaries, even to say what I just said would have been very disturbing. I, I wouldn't have listened to a podcast right. like this. I'd have, I'd have said, man, whoever that Doug guy is, is full of it. Um, so, We've so, gotten yeah. lots of those responses, Doug. I can't yeah, tell you. People are sending yes. in all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what? All publicity is good publicity. So yeah. I admire you guys. <laughs> who, I admire you guys you for that? this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, um, that, no that, that's interesting. So, D- Doug, I want to spend the last, you know, 20 minutes or so, you know, give or take, um, I'd love to hear more. I think our listeners would too of your background, um, and and by background, maybe the better way to frame it because that's probably a long you know campfire conversation. Um, you know, what was your when you think back to your first significant wilderness wandering? Um, you know, we'd love to hear not only kind of what that looked like and w- in your life, but ultimately what triggered it, kind of what the outcome was. Um, and, but and then with that, if you just want to think in terms of, I mean, we just love to hear more about your roots and, and this goes without saying, but, um, you know, we, and for speaking for Steven and myself and really for me personally, when I meet folks today, um, I've come to, I just really uh, can appreciate people's spiritual heritage, even if I like, I want to be further than I ever have been from it, which may or may not be the case. It's like, I, I think it's so important to like, to, 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 to own that. And there's just so much good. And at least in my experience, like so much, um, fantastic foundation that, yes. um, I, that, and, and in tier two thinking, right. That comes along with it. And so this is not to go back and say, Oh, well, when I didn't understand anything, I was just this kind of person, but rather a right. help us understand right. kind of your roots, your breakthrough, where some of that wilderness wandering came for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because again, if this is transcend and include, then I'm realizing, and I do, that the reason why the narrative is so valuable to me is because when I grew up, I grew up in a faith community that was very put a very high emphasis on Bible study and understanding the Bible and knowing the infamous book, chapter, and verse. And that provided for me a great foundation because for me and my wonderings, which I'll get to a little more specifically, it, I never left the narrative. What I left was my previous interpretations of the narrative. But because I had been given such a great respect for it, and, and also because the more I studied it, the more I saw things in it that, to me, were absolute evidences of an amazing message, meaning you've got prophets that spoke as early as maybe 700 years before Jesus, and they spoke at different times under different circumstances. They had no internet, no way to collaborate, corroborate. You get all the way down to Jesus, and Jesus and Paul and Peter all draw on that material to say, and this is the outcome, and it's happening now, and they don't have any way to corroborate what what all the messages that they're doing. I got all of that kind of thinking, understanding, and faith, if you will, uh, from my original, very much traditional background. So I, I started off in a very uh, traditional, people called our group very much fundamentalists, but fundamentalism is not in and of itself uh, good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. It is, again, the way you use the fundamental principles as to whether or not they are healthy or unhealthy. So I kept them. I kept those principles of, mm. of, the, of, the, of the love of the narrative. Uh, some people, you see, uh, went a different way. There are many others that I know of that went all the way into an atheism, a complete uh, uh, feeling that it no longer was useful at all, and they could not make or did not make a transition like I did and just a reinterpretation of it. Mm. But I... Uh, had my first big uh, movement life condition that that moved me when I was actually in a Christian college. And at that time, I was involved in some studies uh, with my dad, and he had written some material and some books that took a different position on a theological uh, subject that was uh, very much a part of our denomination's uh, worldview, their belief system, and therefore their identity. And so I took that very excitedly, very naively, back to the Christian college, and I thought I would explain to the professors there these amazing new things <laughs> yeah. that were in the narrative that I'd never seen, and they would go, whoa, man, Doug, this is amazing. How can we thank you for bringing us these amazing new <laughs> theological insights uh, from your father who grew up in West Virginia? Um, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I went, and the people—these these are people that at that time and at my age I had idolized. Mm. I mean, you know, they, they had reputations within our particular uh, denomination, and they were well-known, and uh, what they said truly was gospel. And so these people who I had that respect for— uh, you know, obviously told me that those were the kinds of things that were leading me down the wrong path. They absolutely were things that were heresy, and there were even stronger words used with regard to things that my dad had written that involved him being a, a, the Antichrist and other things. Wow, the Antichrist. Good yeah, night. It, I was just glad that Hitler was already dead. It would have ticked him off, but— that's that's a big uh, deal. Like, there's only one. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, it but you know, he's a he's a humble guy, and he never bragged about it a lot. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and can I can, can you do you mind yeah. without getting uh, into it? I, I don't yeah, want to get into yeah. the the, the yeah. nitty gritty of the doctrine, but generally, right, right. can you paint a broad picture of what kind of stuff you're talking about? 
Yeah, my dad has written, and those who listen to this podcast and who know me also know that my dad has written extensively in the field of eschatology. And so he reframed some of the eschatological views that our denomination had held uh, ever since its founding. Um, And so when this happened, and uh, I began to get into those uh, particular teachings, it really did, quote, hit the fan. Yeah. Uh, the big moment for me, though, life conditions, where two of the big guys in the, in the Bible department invited me for a private meeting, and I was asked, they said, what would it take for us to show you that this is wrong? I won't go into the parameters, but I said, if you can show me this, this, and this. (laughs) So we sat down and we went through some specific things that I'd be glad to do on another podcast. And and I was absolutely terrified. I got to tell you guys, all my friends were back in the dorm. These are like the professors. These are like the chairs of the department, like the big guns. Wow. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm a kid. So my knees are shaking. I'm going through all this. Are you like 19 or something? 18? Yeah, exactly right. I was 19 years old, and um, I'm just holding my breath, ready for them to take it apart, everything that I've gone through and said, and blah, 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 and this is why I believe this, this, and this. And they sat there for a while, and they said, well, we have not had a chance to really look at this. This is the first time, you know, that you've said said this to us. We've looked at this. Um, We will get back to you. And they never did. And they never did. They never yeah. did. And what? And so when I went back to the dorm, everybody's, you know, all the guys are like, "What happened? What happened?" And I said, "They, they, they didn't have a, a comeback." And and of course, then it got worse because then you had a lot of. And of course, you know how college kids are, right? Now you got a lot of college kids that are getting excited. Yeah. Well, that's that's a real problem. Just like it is in any faith community, if you get people that are excited about viewpoints or taking approaches that are actually bringing excitement, energy, and passion to people, that's a surefire way that you're losing control of your group. Hmm. So in essence, I went on and I went – they had a graduate school that I went to. Uh, and I had made straight A's in Greek and Hebrew and all that, and I went into uh, textual criticism as my major. But when I got to graduate school, the dean sat me down and said, look, because of your views, uh, we're going to take your scholarship away. We cannot give you a scholarship. Wow. And the, wor- and the words that he used, the words that he used were, because we do not think that you will be of any use. Whoa. Oh, wow. my gosh. So, um, how did, how did that hit you in that moment? At this point, are you feeling like, you know what? I'm, I know, I know. Right. I'm just curious. Are you, is there more a sense of outrage? Is there a sense of, well, these people just don't get it. Oh, Um, Are you wanting to like convert and, and, and take people on while I'm get people to agree with you? Are you just like, I'm done with this, throw your hands up a little bit of everything. It was a little bit of everything, but the anger was absolutely there. I mean, the, I mean, mm. you're 19 years old. Um, uh, you're 19 years old. You've got really good, great high testosterone then, which is actually really useful for getting into bar fights and, and tearing <laughs> into people. Uh, not so good when, it, when you're using it in a spiritual community. Not too many bar fights at Church of Christ, though. Come on, man. No, no. Because you wouldn't no, step foot in there. Well, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> we, we know we would not. Um, uh, now I'm thinking of all the guys I hung with yeah, in yeah. that college. But, but that brought about all those emotions. And, I, and I'll tell you, you talk about a wilderness wandering. I dropped out of graduate school, mm-hmm. and I I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no clue what I was going to do. I got an employment agency and literally started looking for a job. And the thing was, I had never taken one business course the whole time I got my uh, degree. So wow. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I ended up going into sales because I thought, well, you stand up and make presentations. You speak a lot. Maybe you'd be good in some kind of sales role. I got a job in uh, the communications field that I knew nothing about. 
I and, did. And Doug, before. sorry, I meant to ask yeah, you, were no you bad. intending to go into ministry? Was that ultimately what you thought you were going to be doing? No, I wanted to get a doctorate and teach. Okay. I, I wanted to be uh, one of those professors. I, I wanted it, to it. teach at a, at a Christian college. Got it. Okay, so you get a job at the communications. Company. Yeah, and so and so things went well for me. Uh, kind of like when uh, Moses went to work for Pharaoh, uh, you know, uh, things worked out for me. Uh, one thing led to another, and I eventually went into business with two other people and started a a uh, telecommunications company uh, from scratch, no customers to begin with, in 1989. And I was president of that company until 2009, just not too long ago, for 20 years. And wow. so that was my wilderness wandering. I literally, I literally went from the 70s all, all the way through those decades of the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s, where I was holding studies with people in the basement of my house. Uh, I was talking to people in small groups and Bible studies. But most of the people I was talking with were still very, very much center of gravity in the current faith community and and position. The difference today is that the millennial generation has grown up in modernity, and the thought of questioning is a duh. Of course you question. Why should we not question? Why mm. should we not invest? That was not what I grew up under. I grew up under the empire that you did not question authority. And so all those decades, I was basically uh, running into the wall time after time after time. But I knew I could not go back on what I was seeing. It was impossible. I, I couldn't fake it. I wasn't going to fake it. Uh, I'd rather go get a job somewhere else than be in a situation like that. So so that's what I did. That's how it led to that. Uh, I had always been involved with my dad and with presence. Even in those years, we had conferences where I uh, spoke every year at the conferences and, again, had, had uh, studies of my own. And the people that came to our conferences were from all over the country, and they would typically be one or maybe two families that were beginning to question at their particular church, but they didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm. So they would come to our conferences and 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 enjoy the studies there. So I was, that, that I was really, going to ask really that, Doug, to that. cut you off again about the community yeah. piece. So I would assume yeah. by the time you transitioned at school, I was a curious if you maintained how long you kind of stuck in with your, your, your spiritual community, even outside of the academic piece. So in a formal or local church, and is that something like, did you have, and then even within the church, was there a particular group that you still were able to maintain fellowship and community with because they would have you? And then kind of when did that ultimately then change kind of what did your base of community look like through those years, particularly the early years as you were going through that, that wandering? Yes. So that's really interesting. I moved to some different cities where um, people didn't know me as well as other places, and I just continued to go to that particular denomination and was very low-key, not uh, pursuing any kind of uh, leadership roles or teaching roles or anything like that until uh, I actually got uh, more and more involved uh, in the 90s with uh, a group, and um, they asked me uh, to teach a class that was mainly for widowers, and I did that, and it went really well. And then they had this small group that was only 10 people, and I began to teach, and I started bringing in some of the principles that had got me in trouble in the first place. And the class grew from 10 people to 55 people in a year. Wow. And the wow. authority and the authorities of the group were like, what's going on in there? <laughs> and, and so the, 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 the conversation started, same conversation started over again. And, um, and they, uh, called me into their meeting and, uh, said that I could not, uh, teach anymore. And furthermore, they said that I was not allowed to even hold home Bible studies. I couldn't even teach in my own home. Wow. So that was that's the last experience I had uh, in my attempt for years to work within uh, that particular group. 
and try to bring about change within that group. I tried. I, I tried for quite some time. Uh, it never did happen. Um, and so I found the last time I was involved with that was in 2001. And the interesting thing is the day they called me in to tell me that I'd no longer be part of anything uh, there or that I couldn't teach at my home, the date of the meeting was September 11th, 2001. Wow. Interesting. And I, I, told, I told my wife, I said, well, you know, this, this is fascinating. Talk about a world-changing life condition. Right. Uh, and, and things are happening, you know, where buildings are coming down and uh, they stand for institutions and these kinds of things. And uh, you can take that however you want. And, and as far as I, I'm saying this to myself, but I, I basically uh, was, was just like, OK, I felt a real sense of freedom at that time. Now, again, this was a process for me, and I'm not telling anyone what their process should be or how they should handle their decisions. Uh, that is obviously what each person should do. And in fact, the more I have uh, studied the spiral, seen the worldviews, and the more I study the narrative, the more I feel free to encourage people to be okay with where they are in their particular journey, Th that uh, I feel more inclined to support people because I have empathy for that. And I'm not so much working from a conversion mentality, but instead I have moved to a contributing mentality. And I see that as a, a very much a first to second tier uh, movement, the movement from uh, conversion to contributing, the movement from possessing to stewarding. There's a number of things that theologically uh, begin to shift in my thinking along that along the same lines of the spiral model. Hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Doug. That's awesome. And of yeah. course, I feel like I could ask about a hundred questions and following up. <laughs> Steven, is there something, anything specific you wanted to, to comment on there? No, I mean, that was, uh, we'll have to do similar podcast episodes for sure. Maybe in the future, I'd love to hear more about that conversation with the professors. I'd love to hear about, uh, more about your, this, the stuff with eschatology and your dad's books. And maybe we'll put, um, we'll put some links up on our, on the show notes to his books. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe we could, we could even pick up on that in a, in a future episode, but I guess I just want to say, you know, hopefully for folks listening, um, just that they, there's a sense of encouragement, you know, I think for, for those who are in that, that wandering, it's obviously also easy, you know, at, at, not easy, but much simpler in a, you know, a short podcast to kind of reflect on the past and say, yeah, this happened. Isn't that crazy? And now we're here. And, you know, we look back, I think about myself looking back in some of the more, more challenging times and even, I know there are new times to come, but challenging times of the wilderness and there's those transitions and it can, it's a lot, man. And I guess it can be, you could feel like a sense of a loss or identity loss or relationships lost. And obviously no one wants to make light of that, but I guess to, to leave on a, you know, call it hopeful or maybe just a reminding note that, you know, the, that the wilderness is part of the journey, that this is just an imperative and, and ultimately will be a life giving part of the journey. And that we're all on it, you know, and that, that, that there can be, uh, there are communities of people, hopefully this is one of them, where, where folks can have the conversations, where there can feel a sense of safety to, to bring these things up, um, to, to where hopefully there, there wouldn't be judgment and where um, there can just be a reminder that, that we're in this together. Yeah, Doug, can you share briefly just uh, some of the ways that presence is creating some, uh, or trying to, trying to create those kind of communities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we as presidents are really trying to talk about the principles that we've talked about in these two podcasts with leaders such as yourself and with other people who come to uh, meetings that we have in different places that we uh, uh, connect with people who want to have this discussion. We are not trying to be as presidents a thing that you're a member of or anything that would be institutional in any way. Rather, we are simply uh, talking about a message that we would see as this developmental message, if you will, of how God uh, revealed himself, herself, itself, 
uh, through a story called a narrative. And we feel that by doing this, we're actually contributing to people whatever worldview they're in and whatever page number they're on, if they want that encouragement or if they're feeling isolated or if they're feeling that maybe uh, there's there's something wrong with them for some reason or another in the feedback they're getting, or especially I, we have a lot of meetings with people who have family divisions mm-hmm. where they have been the first person in their family to step out from a long-held, handed-down tradition, and those situations that split families are some of the most difficult to have. And so Presence tries to be just a safe place for these kinds of conversations and an encouraging place. So how can people, if they want to participate in one of these or they they want to get involved, where do they go to get involved in some of these meetings? So our presence, our website is just simply presence.tv, as in television, presence.tv. And when we have events, for example, we've got some events that are going to be coming up here uh, this summer that we will be putting on our website and uh, we are developing email lists of people. You can sign up. If you go to presence.tv and sign up for our, our email list, uh, you will get notified every time we're having any kind of gathering uh, and where that gathering is. And we send that email list out. I, I just had people in here from Kansas City. We've had people down from uh, Nashville and other places here. Uh, had somebody from Virginia. Uh, so, uh, these conversations uh, are something that we put out through email and on the website. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we definitely recommend and refer folks your way. Again, presence.tv. Doug, thank you again for, for the time this evening. So glad that we can you know continue this conversation and continue a friendship uh, and ultimately uh, connect live a couple more times in the future as well, share a city here. Um, so, so thank you again, and uh, we're, we're, we're super grateful. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I really admire the work that uh, you and Stephen are doing on this podcast and providing this conversation because it's a really, really needed conversation. So thank you. I'm honored to be part of it, guys. Excellent. All right, everyone. Everyone listening back home, thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to subscribe if you haven't. Again, thanks for listening, and uh, see you on the next one.